You know, Christian race is a, is a marathon. Eh? It is not a 100-meter sprint. I have been a pastor. Last year, I celebrated 40 years as a Christian and 30 years in ministry and 25 years as a pastor. I've been a pastor, a youth pastor in a church. There is many young people, uh, but many faded away. Some uh, took drugs, some landed up in jail, some walked away from the Lord. It's a marathon, it's a very long race until the day you die. And so when I stand here looking at some elderly people here, I say, praise God, at your age you're still running because it's marathon. It's not finished until it is finished, isn't it? It is not finished until it is finished. And uh, Karen Phelps, no relations to Michael Phelps, the uh, Olympic uh, gold medalist and all that. She is a, was a marathon runner and she trained regularly. And this is her training plan. Her plan for training is fivefold. This is what she says. Number one, run daily, even if you don't feel like it. Number two, run daily, even in bad weather. And even if people think you are weird. Number three, run daily, even when it gives you aches and pain and you feel like quitting. Number four, run daily, even if you sometimes have to skip fun and pleasure. And the fifth point is run daily, even if you don't feel like it is doing you any good. And I thought that is a very good advice for a Christian race. Run dairy. Sometimes you have bad weather. Sometimes you feel body aching and pains and all that. But run. Because Christian is a race. And the race is very long. It is not finished until it is finished. And, but the good thing is when we fail, we can always come back to God. And so at the start of the year... It is always a good time to take stock and take time to reevaluate our priorities. It is a time to see where we can change. You know, some of us, we all carry, ladies carry handbags, and nowadays men also carry bags. I carry one bag too. Uh, but do you actually go through your bag, what is inside your bag? It's amazing what people have in their bag. I used to have one lady actually have a hammer in her back. <laughs> it's amazing. You can ask lady anything. They, they, they have it in the back. A nail clipper and all that. You know, they, they can find something for you. But once in a while, you have to see through things, right? I mean, this time of the year, a bit, you, know, you go through your bag, you go through your house, you open up your fridge, you check your freezer. Some of this fish and meat has been there for one year. And, and then look at the date, 2022, you know. Uh, expired stuff, you have to chuck it out and throw, make it clean. We all do that. Oh, you should. I mean, if you don't. And so life is the same. Why don't we take stock of our lives? Sometimes we have to take stock. Because life is harder. It's harder to take stock, especially you run on you know, schedule and all that things. And until some health issue comes along and then you take stock. So I thought at the start of the year, it's good to take stock. Because 
uh, it's always good to make fresh start of the year. So in some sense, what I want to give you, challenging you three points here this morning, is not just for 2024, but it is just a way of saying, let's have a fresh start. But I want to begin by just reading to you Isaiah 43. I won't be expounding on this passage, uh, but I just want to read to you this passage from the Message Version by Eugene Peterson. Um, he translated the Bible into a message version. We have used this text before from the amalgamation to our building project. It's, it's, a, it's a good verse to look at what God is doing and giving us a fresh start. So I'm going to read to you first. And then I want to give you three things to challenge you for this year. Okay, let's start. Start is always difficult. Don't know why. All right, Isaiah 43 said, This is what God says, the God who builds a road right through the ocean, who carves a path through pounding waves, the God who summons horses and chariots and armies. They lie down and then can't get up. They are snuffed out like so many candles. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over all history. Be alert. Be present. I like the word be present. You know, many people are not living in the moment. We always plan for the future. We get about our past and we use our present as a way of planning for the future. We don't actually live in some sense. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert. I'm making a reverse in the badlands. Brand new. God is doing something if you're willing to cooperate with Him. So let me give you what I call a hot year. H O T 2024. Some of us, we like to have goals. Some of us already given up 20 years ago. We just drift along, we just live spontaneously because whatever you set out after a few weeks or a few months, you gave up. Um, and some of us, we need. I know a one girl in my youth group last time, she said, every morning I have to write down what I'm going to do today. And by the end of the day, I want it to be all take. And, some, and he said, I have to have a list. Without a list, I can't. But some people, they don't have lists. They just live spontaneously. They just go on a mind. I remember when I was at Bible college, there was one guy throughout three hours lectures. You know what he does? He would just sit upright with his arm full. He never, I've never seen him take a pen and took, a, took note before. Three hours, three years I was with him. He just folded his hand and just listened. That's all. Maybe he has a sticky memory. Maybe he can just absorb and everything. You know, he just want to pay attention, and then you learn while you are there. That's it. That's all. You don't need to take notes. So we are all different, but I just want to challenge you three things this year to kickstart. H stands for honor God. Would you? Set your priorities in your life to honor God. I find it very strange that people who believe in God don't want to take stock and find ways to want to honor Him. I find it very strange. If you're in the 80s, I can understand that. You know, you don't believe in God. That's fine. But if you profess to believe in God, then why wouldn't you want to honor God? 
Are you a practical atheist where conceptually you believe in God, but your life actually has, God is not in the picture? You make your own decision, you do everything yourself, you don't seek God, you don't pray, you don't ask God for direction and, and ask God whether or not this is the right path to go. This and that. Do, you, do we even seek God? God, what do you think? This is what I plan to do. Lord, would you come and show me? Why would we want to honor God if you believe in God? The root word honor means heavy or weight, weighty. So to honor someone then is to give weight and to grant a person a position of respect and even authority in one's life. So to honor God means to give him the regard, give him the respect, reverence, admiration, adoration, or praise, submission, and obedience which are due to him. And so to honor God means to worship him in all our attitudes, affections, and actions. And the essence of what it means to honor God is revealed in the greatest commandment. Love God and love others. God is deserving the highest honor because of both who He is and what He does for us. Both what He has done for us and who He is. Not just only for what He has done for us, but simply because of who He is. He is God. Revelation 4, at the end, talks about this. It says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they were created and have their being. There has never been nor will there ever be anyone in any position of power or worldly influence who can claim such an honor. God alone is the creator and sustainer of all the heavens and earth. He created and he sustained it. And therefore, 1 Corinthians 10.31, in summary of honoring God, is whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you do everything for the glory of God. Whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Meaning you say you have the end in mind. Your end is to honor God. Your end is to glorify God. Your end is whatever you're doing, a good job, is to honor God. Whatever service that you do in the church or whatever, you do it for God. Whatever you do is directed to God, honor God. And there are, I want to give you two stories in the scripture. One honor God and one dishonor God. And I want to start from the person that dishonor God first. You know the phrase that we often are aware of, those who honor God, God will honor us. Yes? We know that. But it's actually in the Bible. It's not a... Um, conventional wisdom or whatever. It is in the Bible. It's 1 Samuel chapter 2. But many of us do not know that that verse is quoted in the context of God pronouncing judgment on Eli. On Eli. And that verse comes out in that pronouncement of judgment upon him because he dishonored God. And so the first one is, the person who dishonored God is Eli and his two sons called Phinehas of Phinehas and Hophni. You can read that in 1 Samuel chapter 2. For those who might need a refresher on the story, Eli was the high priest 
at the time recorded in the beginning of 1 Samuel, we heard the story about Hannah went to the temple to pray for a child and God gave him Samuel and it was Eli as the high priest then. And Eli has two sons called Hophni and Pinehas. They serve as priests in the temple, but they are terrible, terrible, terrible men. They are hopeless, they are wicked, they are corrupt, they steal, they embezzle. They committed acts of sexual immorality by abusing their power, the position of power. And as a result of their action, not only was the tabernacle profaned, but people avoided even coming to worship because of the presence of this wicked priest. And Eli, who was a high priest, he did very little to rebuke the children. I don't know why are you doing this or like that, you know. But he did nothing at all when he was in a position to straighten things up. He didn't do it. And the Bible says that Eli honored his children more than he honors God. And therefore, God pronounced judgment upon Eli. This is what he said. I'm going to read the entirety of this text to you in 1 Samuel. Now, a man of God came to Eli. And then he said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why? Why did you do that? Because if you know the story, the sons actually, all these sacrifices that pe- uh, worshippers come and bring to the temple, they're usually supposed to burn in the, in, in the pot and uh, and. and and then they'll poke it in, whatever it is, especially for priests, certain thing is for God. The law states precisely what portions of the sacrifices belong to the priests in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But the two brothers, the two sons of Eli, they took the fat parts that belong to the Lord. And they took the meat that they wanted. Not only that, they actually asked these worshippers, the, the servant who helped to prepare the sacrifices, don't even bother boiling the meat. Just give the raw meat to us so that we can roast it and do it the way we want, which is not according to the law that is stipulated, stipulated by God. And therefore, the, the man came to Eli and said, Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. Why? Why did you honor your sons more than me? And this is what happened. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me, will be disdained. And God pronounced judgment on Eli. Eli was about 95 years old later on. 
And then the ark of God was taken by the Philistines. The two sons died on the same day. And when Eli heard the news, he was so sad, he fell backward, he broke his neck, and he died. That's it. That's the end of his line, in a sense. Dishonor God. There's another guy that honored God. Strangely, his name is also Pinehas. He's one of the sons of Eli, but he's not the same guy. The story is in Numbers 25. It is the most striking contrast. Maybe there is a reason they bear the same name, recorded in Numbers 25. When Israel, they were committing idolatry, worshipping as shittim, idols. And God told Moses, Dear people are doing this. Please go and sort things out. And so Moses gathered the assembly together and straightened things out. And there was this guy who came with a woman, publicly shame what Moses they all said and went into the tent and this guy by the name of Pilehas he took a spear and went there and and this is what the Lord says to Moses this guy Pilehas he was zealous for God's honor in Numbers 25 Verse 11, this is what God said. Phinehas, son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, grandson of Aaron, okay? He has turned my anger away from the Israelites since he was as zealous for my honor among them as I am. I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. Phinehas, the priest, had honored God and God highly honored him. You know, we should honor God. My friend, I just want to challenge you at the start for this year. Live your life to honor God. If God is your heavenly Father and love you graciously, you experience the goodness of God in your life, learn to honor God with your time. Give some time to serve the Lord. Honor God with your gifts. Use your gifts to serve, contribute to kingdom, to eternal values. Honor God with your treasure, whatever God has blessed you with. Use it for His glory. Honor Him. You can find ways to honor God with your time, with your talents, with your treasure, and many other things. The second thing I want to challenge you for this new year is not just honor God with a H. O is to overcome grievances. Every year, I have no doubt that I will preach this sermon because relational struggle is a constant problem in humanity. And relational struggle is the one that zaps out our emotional, mental, and spiritual energy. If you really evaluate more and more, what are your most difficult challenges in life? Are all, emo are all relational problems. And so I just want to challenge you to overcome grievances. If you don't get that right, you will live a miserable existence. Uh, Colossians 3 says this, Bear with each other 
and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Powerful words. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It actually makes you bitter. Forgiving doesn't make you weak. It actually sets you free. When you forgive, you heal. And when you let go, you grow. God in these words, through the Apostle Paul, is challenging us directly and personally to give up your grudges. That is what he means when he says, forgive each other whatever grievances you may have against one another. Give up your grudges. You know, a grudge is a deep, ongoing resentment that we cultivate in our hearts against someone else. When you think of the person, your anger rises up. When you think of what he said or what he does to you or she, you get angry. And of course, they say ang angry, anger is only one letter short of danger. And harboring a grudge is about nursing a dislike of someone. But what you need to know is that grudge are dangerous because they are destructive. Grudges destroys marriages. Grudges destroys families. Grudges destroys friendship. Grudges destroys families and churches as well. And they are not just destructive, but they are also self-destructive. Grudges destroy yourself. When you hold a grudge against someone, you will hurt yourself as much and perhaps more than you will hurt the person you are looking, holding it against. And if you keep harboring a grudge, then it will eventually destroy you. If not physically, certainly emotionally and spiritually. It will make you a bitter, a resentful and a twisted person. Do you remember the parable of, uh, Jesus said about the servant who was forgiven a huge debt by this king and then went out and found another servant that only uh, owed him very little bit of uh, money and he got the other guy punished? Jesus said his unforgiving spirit landed him in prison. Max Lucado, in one of his books, he says this. He said, unforgiving servants always end up in prison. Prisons of anger, prisons of guilt, and prison of depression. So God is saying to you this morning, don't sentence yourself to prison. Set yourself free. Give up your grudges. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Of course, he isn't asking you to ignore whatever the person has done to you. He isn't asking you to pretend it didn't happen. He doesn't ask you to condone it or to pretend it didn't matter. But what God asks you to do is to forgive the grievance. Release. Of course, forgive, forget. You can't forget. Forget means to say that when you recall back, it no longer cut 
the resentment, the bitterness no longer surface. It means that. So I'm quite certain that there are some of you here this morning uh, who need to give up your grudges and forgive the grievance that you have against someone else. Some of you need to forgive the grievance you have against your parents. During my sabbatical year, I worked in a nursing home. And I go around serving coffee to the residents. And I asked this lady, how are you today? She said, no good. I said, why? I'm suing my daughter. I said, why? He took my money away. So I'm suing her. I'm not happy. Some of you need to forgive someone for emotional abuse. Not to condone it. But there are times you need to forgive so that you can grow and change. Maybe some of you need to give up your grudge against your boss. Some of you need to give up the grudge that stems from an argument you had with someone. Whatever that may be, you have to give it up. Overcome grudges, overcome grievances. Bring it to the Lord. As difficult as it is, ask God for strength. And did you notice that the command to forgive is what? It's there, right? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, at the height of the Cuban missile, missile crisis, I don't know, maybe in the 60s, between America and Soviet Union then, as attention was building towards what could have been the outbreak of World War III, uh, at that time, the late Soviet Nikita Khrushchev, he sent an urgent message to President John Kennedy. And this is what he said. He said, you and I should, now, should not now pull on the ends of the rope in which you have tied a knot of war. Because the harder you and I pull, the tighter the knot will become. And a time may come when this knot is tied so tight that the person who tied it is no longer capable of untying it. it then the knot will have to be cut. But what that would mean, I need not explain to you. Because you yourself understand perfectly what drag forces our two countries possess. Before the knot is too tight that it can no longer untangle, that will cause a lot more misery. Do something about it. You must understand that relationships don't thrive because the guilty are punished, but because the innocent are merciful. The weak can never forgive, as they say. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. Corey Tenboon says forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Whenever I conduct a wedding at the service, when I 
do a short homily, I will always bring in this point. I never get tired of repeating and repeating because it is a truth and we need to repeat it. We don't only say once. And that is why we repeat sermon. Yeah? If you can repeat song, we can repeat sermon. Why we need to become a great forgiver? You know why? Because forgiveness will save your marriage when nothing else will. Forgiveness will restore your family when nothing else will. Forgiveness will repair a broken heart when nothing else will. And forgiveness is the key to open a closed heart. My friend, overcome grievances this year. Make it your goal. Don't be so easily offended. Overcome it. Pray about it. If there's things still nick over it, talk to the person. Work it through. Be godly. Ask God for strength, for help. Then you can live a, a good life in a sense. No grudges, no grievances. You can live freely. You don't carry 10 kilos of potatoes with you, do you? When you go every day to work and all that, 10 kilos. Can you imagine somebody always carry 10 kilos of potatoes wherever they go? Courage. Let it go. So that's the second thing. Honor God. Overcome grievances. And the third one, T, that I want to challenge you is... To think biblically. To learn to think biblically. You know, this is an information age. It's a flaw. There are no shortage of information nowadays. And every profession is in, in danger in some sense. Because everybody can read about it. I, I used to have a friend who was a doctor, and he, he told me one day this lady came with his, her father to see him. And then came with a stack of notes and put in front of the GP, my father suffered from this. Because he has already done whatever reading or research. Or every profession. Because knowledge is readily available, whether it is a doctor or a dentist or, or whatever, you know, or an engineer or a counselor or, or, or nutritionist. Everybody is in there because of information. But how do you process the information that we receive about life? About, is it possible to, for us believers to think biblically, to evaluate things through the lens of the scripture? Because Bible has view on all things. Bible has view on what is marriage. Bible has view on, on love. Bible has view on wealth. The scripture has view on future the, Bible, the scripture has view on leadership. The scripture has views. Is it possible for us to think and evaluate things biblically? You need to put on the lens of the scripture. You know, world, they call this world view. What is your view of the world? Imagine if you wear a, a, a yellow glasses, then you will see the world as yellow. You wear red, then you see the world is red. So where is this lens that you're wearing? Is it possible for you to put the lens, put on the glasses of the scripture to view things through the lens of the scripture? 
recently someone have a conversation with me and tell, told me that, I said, are you going to celebrate your big birthday? Yeah, supposedly, they're a Christian. So if person going to celebrate big birthday? Oh, no, no, no. You know, our culture, if you celebrate big birthday, your life will be shortened. Huh? My job? Uh, uh, I said, I said, you're a you're follower of Christ? You celebrate birthday, your life will be shortened? What is going on? Where did you get a view from? I said. Oh, Caroline just told me this morning. Some people say if you take down Christmas light after the new year, you have bad luck. <laughs> Where did it come from? How can, I mean, of course, non-believer, you can say that. But if you are a believer, you are a follower of Christ. Where did you get the views from? From your grandmother? Passed down, you know. We have all these kind of things that it is, it is not biblical. We don't think biblically in a sense. Who is controlling your life? Is your birthday, big birthday is the one that's controlling your life or what? So David, you better don't celebrate it. <laughs> we have to learn to think biblically. What does the word of God say? Then you can see, then you can... And the, the sooner you align your view under the Word of God and view the, the world through the lens of the Scripture, you live rightly. Because that is how... If you go through trials and suffering in your life, the Bible has a view on that. That sometimes trials and suffering is the way that God can use to mold and shape you. The Bible has view on all these things. So you've got to think critically and biblically to see whether or not your assessment, your view. Because we get our views from where? From our books that you read, from movies, from TV shows, from magazines that you read at the counter, waiting for your GP or, or dentist or whatever. You get your view informed through all these means, through the songs. And then we need to learn to evaluate it. And that is what uh, Romans 12, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Notice the word patent is not here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. That is worldview. The world has a pattern, has a view. Referred here collectively as a humanity without acknowledgement of God. They have beliefs, they have values that it holds. And then next, notice the word conform. This means that people's beliefs and values are moldable. You change, your view changes. Did you realize that? Not just only your taste, but change. As you grow different age, some food you dislike. As you grow older, you love it. I used to hate Brussels sprout, but I love it now. You know? But I like it now. You, know? you change your taste, but change. But your views change as well, because experientially you go through life, you, you get more, you, get, you learn through life experience as well, not just only reading a book. 
your view change because emotionally you you engage and then you realize ah now I know what this person said is all about it's moldable and then third you notice we link to our mind by the renewing of your mind this implies that our is linked to how it shapes us because how we think will affect how we feel and how we feel will affect what we, how we do. You think wrongly, you feel wrongly and you do wrongly. There is a chain there. It starts with your thing, your worldview. Think wrongly, you feel wrongly and then you do wrongly. You think rightly, you will feel rightly and then you will do rightly. And fourthly, there is the word renewing. This implies that our default pattern is worldly and requires the, the breaking the mold approach to free ourselves from our sinful self. Renewing of your mind. Why do you think church service, say one and a half hours, you come sing and then we have prayer, sometimes we have communion, sometimes we've got a mission spot. Most of the time is devoted to what? To the preaching of God's word. It's a shaping of values of mind, preaching God's word so that you receive God's word. It slowly, slowly change your thinking. It's devoted largely to this. And our mind, renewal comes from the intentional focus on the will of God. What is the will of God? That you may discern what is the will of God. And then sixthly, God's beliefs and values are called good, acceptable, and perfect. Good, acceptable, and perfect. And number seven, in order for us to be renewed, we must discern, isn't it? That you may discern what the difference between worldly thinking and godly thinking. So that's why you might think critically, think biblically. Sorry, cancel out the word critically. Think biblically. Think biblically. What does the word of God say? Can I evaluate this world through, through the lens of the scripture? Many years ago, I watched this movie. I can't remember the title of the movie now, about Richard Gere. And uh, he was a defending lawyer for this little boy. He was an altar boy. And then the bishop was found dead. Uh, and then he took up the case to defend this altar boy because he was a prime suspect. Primal fear, is it? Primal fear or something, yes. And, 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 and one part of the story, he was at the down, as usually, you're losing the case. And then they asked him, why did you take up the case in the first place? And he said this. He said, why? Because I believe that human by nature, they are good. And I straight away sat there. I said, that is not correct. I evaluate through the lens of the scripture. That is incorrect. I watch a movie, I evaluate whether that is correct biblically. I say that is incorrect. But of course, it's been amplified to the world. People watch it, people learn how to value with the sound of music, you know, emotions and all that. So here it goes. Think biblically. Do not just follow your heart. You know, follow your heart is a creed embraced by billions of people. I wrote a short article on that about a couple of months ago. 
How many times have we been given this statement as a piece of good advice? Just follow your heart. Culture tells us this is the ultimate determiner in making decisions. What is your heart telling you to do? Such a sentimental, uh, such a sentiment is not only common, but it has also been exalted to a to the high moral authority in our culture. It is as if doing anything else would be denied of your very true self. Follow your heart. After all, a person must be true to who they are. Anything less would be inauthentic. But the problem is our heart needs a leader. Your heart is not the leader. They need a leader. If you really follow your heart, can anyone be honest enough to say, if you really follow your heart, what happened? What will actually happen? I can't imagine if I follow my own heart. I'll be destroyed. I'll be doing crazy things already. Follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Find yourself. Love yourself. Believe in yourself. We inhabit a secular age in which transcendence has been thinned out and trivialized. And the sovereign self trusts to the center of the stage. As someone said, nowadays pilgrimages to find true beauty and goodness don't require a plane ticket, just a mirror. So do not follow your heart. Your heart needs a leader. Follow the word of God. Think biblically. Evaluate things biblically. Step off the treadmill of self-obsession and walk into the presence of a God who loves you before the beginning. The most important story in your life isn't one you wrote and it isn't one in which you play the starring role. You exist to make someone else look good. That's not limiting, but it's liberating. And don't be surprised if you do that, it will actually make you happy. So three things I want to challenge you honor God, overcome grievances, and learn to think biblically. So if there's any chance to hear God's word preach or attend Bible study, KYB or whatever other program, daily reading your word of God, it is a slow process of sowing seed into the way you believe things. It's a slow process, but you must be patiently Keep doing it. Run daily. Then you will form a biblical worldview as you go along your life. Let me finish off with this. A poem by Helen Fisher who says this. He said, He came to my desk with a quivering lip. The lesson was done. Have you a new leaf for me, teacher? I have spoiled this one. I took his leaf, all soiled and blotted, and I gave him a new one, all unspotted, and then into his third heart I smiled, do better now, my child. I went to the throne with a trembling heart. The year was done. Have you a new year for me, Father? I have spoiled this one. He took my ear, all soiled and blotted, and he gave me a new one, all unspotted. And into my tired heart, he smiled. Do better now, my child. Lord, we come this morning at the start of the year. 
uh, to take stock of our own lives. Just like whether a handbag or a fridge or our car booth or our garage that is accumulating so many stuff that need to chuck out. Lord, our lives, however number of years that we live, has also accumulated things that we need to chuck out. So this morning, dear Lord, we humbly bow our heads before you and we thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your compassionate love to us. Lord, we rebel against you. We sin against you. We have no desire for spiritual things. We are selfish. We always get angry. We are upset. We are resentful. Bitterness. And all this thing in our hearts that we accumulated. Lord, we humbly come to you and we ask you to forgive us. We ask you to give us a fresh start. Lord, we will fall again, but we thank you that you will pick us up again. Thank you, Lord, for your incredibly patient with us, for loving us. I pray that each one of us here this morning will renew our heart and determine to want to grow in you, to want to honor you, to want to overcome grievances, and to want to, over a prolonged period of time, to learn to think biblically. The sooner we align ourselves with your view, then the abundant living will come. Thank you, Lord. As we sing this closing song, we once again say that you are number one. You are all. You are everything. Nothing should be blocking our way to dedicating our life to you. Because nothing else matters. Nothing satisfies more than you. Thank you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.